Hey, everybody. Welcome to, I don't know why I said hey so funny. That was like, I always thought the lady was going to come on or whatever, but she doesn't come on anymore because I turned her off. So here we'll start again. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Creatives Ignite. Last time I had Bethany Heck on, well, the first time I had Bethany Heck on was in 2013, which was 10 years ago, Bethany. Wow. Thank you for believing in me way long time ago. And, um, to be able to come on the show. So then you came back on in 2016. I saw you speak at Creative South. You were literally stand-up comedian funny. You you don't try to be, but you are hilarious and she's brilliant. I have learned so many things just from having conversations. The, what Bethany did, how she's um, used the Library of Congress. That was something that I didn't know I could do. You taught me that and then I started using that. Um, and she just pushes the boundaries of type, which to me, her dad was my professor. I he, I don't know if he taught me typography, but, you know, they're all teaching typography, typographies and everything. So I have this imagination that um, Professor Heck, uh, Ross Heck, her dad, was always like teaching her about typography. And at that point, when she got to college, she was like, I already knew everything um, that they're going to teach you. And so then she was able to push boundaries. But I really had um, an idea, and I think I definitely think it was incorrect that there were certain rules. And then, so this is why, to me, you are a huge influence on me, and I think so many others, is that you were willing, because they taught us, as you probably know, you probably knew, like when you were five, you're like two, three typefaces max, right? In a piece, right? They, they, I mean, your dad taught me that. And so, and I think that that was a guideline as we were learning, right? But that so many of us never pushed past that learning stage. We thought that was like an end-all, be-all. So Bethany, that was one thing that Bethany taught me. She's like, why? Look, And she did so much research, looked at all this old design and was like, this stuff works. Let's rethink some of these rules. And so it's helped me to rethink some of the type rules. So it's just two of the ways that I love Bethany, but I hope that you guys enjoy this one. This is a, where are they now? So last we spoke was 2016. Lots of change. You've moved around. You've uh, changed companies. You, um, she re, she helped IBM get out of one typeface on their uh, website, right? Or there was, or their operating system in the thing, um, I can't remember what it was, but you were like, this isn't working. You can't use bold here and it's clickable and then it's not clickable. So there's so much that she's taught me also just in the way to look at UX in a in a piece. So, Bethany, can you give them a little bit of an update on where you are physically and what you're doing now and maybe a little bit of the journey from 2016 on? Sure. Uh, um so in 2016, I was at Microsoft and I was uh, in Seattle uh, and I am still in Seattle. I had a brief uh, excursion down south to San Francisco uh, to lead design at Medium for a year, but didn't really care for San Francisco a lot. And and so very quickly found found ways of getting back up here and and have stayed put. Seattle feels like my, my home away from home. Um, I really love it here. Um, and I am working um, still in UX. Uh, working in design systems at um, Smartsheet, which is like a uh, program product management type of software, like running like Trello board. It's like a, a, a much more robust version of, of software like Trello, Trello boards and spreadsheets and lets you like make plans and see when things are off track and set up all these complicated automations. And so it's this really like nitty gritty tool that people use to do their jobs, which is the kind of thing that I really like working on in, in day job situations because it's really cool to know that like to have this this sort of like weight behind your what you're doing is like this is this impacts somebody's job and their livelihood and so you have to make sure that you're making the right decision and I really like that sort of responsibility. Yeah, that's awesome. And I I think that some people and we had talked about this when we talked back in March I think or maybe it was February when we met, but we talked about sometimes that pressure of having. I think of you as a, a woman leader in design in our field, and especially in UX. And sometimes it is hard, whether you're a woman or not, it's it just it's just hard to make those as a creative saying, hey, we need to make some of these changes. 
And that's been like a role you're like, you have worn with um, gusto, I think. You don't, I don't think you uh, are like, I'm putting this on, I'm going to do this for the good of everybody. I think you are doing it, but you're like, you're not going to let them beat you down just because it might be easier for them. You're like, no, this is better for the people who are using it, which I, I just love that. Uh, that's just in your heart driven in and you're like, we're going to make this better. But I do think sometimes it can be hard to be that, always be like uh, being the one that's breaking the trails and leading, leading the, leading the path. Cause there is sometimes can be resistance either against creatives or just this is, they may think of this as like a, a new field, but although it's not a new field, we just have a name for it now, I think. Do you feel like there's some resistance in? Definitely. I think one of the things, though, that I would say that I've observed is that some of it is that companies are new to having big in-house design, and whether that's like all the different flavors of design, marketing design, graphics design, um, and UX design. But, um, and so some of that is, the, you know, like the sort of machines that designers are operating in are a little bit less familiar with the practice of design. But I think designers are also a little bit unpracticed in working with other disciplines as well, whether it's, again, the sort of like uh, marketing uh, side of things or with dealing with engineers. Like I- I'm dealing with a lot in my job or PMs. And so, what's um, a PM? Project I've- manager? A, a project manager, a okay. pro- program manager. It's oh. a very loaded acronym. Uh, and and what that person in that role does at any given company is slightly different. It's it's usually the person who's like wrangling like, okay, design, here's what you need to deliver and when and engineering, can you get it done in time and sort of like managing the, the little group of people. Is What's hard about that is that, that is it that somebody doesn't know or their role is not defined or your role is not as defined because it's newer in these companies? I think that that's, that's it sometimes. A lot of times I think designers come in and we're very passionate. We care a lot about what we're doing and we can like sort of like come in a little too hot or sort of like come in with mm. this perspective of like, I'm I'm the only person here who can do this. I am the subject matter expert. And so I'm telling you that this is the way that it should be. And when you have resistance and design is also unique, I would say inside of companies and that everybody has an opinion about what, what you're doing and how you do it. Nobody like is, is looking at the code that an engineer is building and thinking like, I wouldn't have formatted, you know, or I wouldn't have, have written that code that way. Um, oh, they either don't a... have visibility for it yeah. Or, or, or yeah, but everybody has an opinion about design. I think that that's a growth lesson that the discipline as a whole is learning is that um, we, we are at both an advantage and disadvantage and that like everybody is potentially a stakeholder at, at, and in our environments and uh, for what we're doing and everybody has an opinion. And we might sort of like weigh the value of those opinions differently, but that doesn't mean that we like we still have to sort of like navigate it um, just because you don't think it's valid feedback doesn't mean that the feedback doesn't exist. And I right. feel like we as a discipline are still like navigating how to operate in those spaces. And so I find a lot of times designers kind of get in this really bad headspace where they're just like, nobody's listening to me. I don't have the power. Design's not respected at the company. And some of those things might be true. All of the things that are causing you to feel that way are real. Um, but I I have seen positive like developments when they added that like there's just more like I, I find that when design like makes the attitude or, or sort of like make, takes the effort to sort of like work very hard to contextualize what they're showing within the framing that the person who's going to be looking at the thing is. And so like I know that this person cares a lot about this. And so how do I take what I want to do and frame it in a way that matches what they want? and sort of like pitch in that way, um, I find that things get a lot smoother and it's, and it's always different and it's different when you're dealing with a bunch of people and all those things. But I do feel like growth is happening. Um, and you know, other people inside of companies are learning more about how to deal with designers and designers are, are sort of building these muscles of like, okay, how do I like relate what I'm doing instead of just sort of being like, yeah, I'm a design machine and I'm going to make design, um, like sort of like, 
taking in that extra context of, of the people that they're working with and shaping what they're doing around that. I like it that you also are like, hey, it's the attitude of let's come together instead of let's fight against. Um, but there are so what makes it, I say IBM, but it wasn't IBM. It was Microsoft. That's just like everything other than Apple, I guess, is IBM for me in my brain. <clears throat> so my fault. All different versions I, I, of the same thing. <laughs> so uh, so big company that ha- is long, you know, um, but I think that they do appreciate design. And then you've worked for smaller companies that were more growing, um, not and and other things in, in between. What? Because if if we're coming into a situation, whether it's a freelancer working in a um, a company or somebody going into a new job, say it was a new created role. What would be some things that would be help the team um, or help the project to go? What would be some key factors like to look for? Like, hey, this is what we need to work on to make this a good team. Because you you've led teams. I mean, this is not like just Bethany against the world. It's you leading people and you getting them on board. And it sounds like that's what's been key is that you're really serving the people that you're the customers, you know, the customer's customer, but also the people that are in the room, you're giving them a voice as well. You're not just wiping them away and being like, I know what's right. So what what would make a great working environment for somebody? And, and I, you know, you can kind of look at this from what hasn't worked maybe at some companies and then what is working or what you think would work. Is that a question? I mean, sure. that's not on our sheet, but I think so. Okay. I see some questions in there. Okay. Um, so when I'm thinking about like, how do I set up, how do I set up my team? Like, regardless of like what the makeup is in terms of designers, because I've led graphic design teams inside of companies too. At Medium, I did both UX and graphic design. Um, so how do I, how do I set them up to have success? And from my lens, success is like, they're able to solve problems with a, a degree of autonomy um, they feel like they are owning the work, um, and they are, they are growing like personally in their skills versus, you know, some, some ways of managing people is to sort of like very much like say like, hi, I am interpreting the situation. And this is like the, the sort of like endpoint that I think we need to reach to. And then you go execute on that. And I, I feel like that doesn't leave enough opportunity for learning and growth for the person. And it also doesn't, it also is like very reliant on my lens and my perspective to sort of like that my version of what is the right solution is right. So I feel like my job is to know the landscape and the environment. So like, who are the stakeholders? What are the things that they're concerned about? Where are opportunities to sort of like latch onto things that are important to people and frame our work in the context of that? And so I want to like basically give like a packet like of, of this information, like as a sort of like general guide of like, you, I want you to go tackle this work. Here are the things that I know are like very important to some people. Here are the triggers that I know, like if we like delve into this like type of execution, like if in graphic design, it could be something as simple as like colors or, you know, certain aesthetic choices, um, things that people really like or don't like, um, and then just and, and let them go from there. Um, and so I feel like it's, it's, it's my job to sort of like spend time with like everybody at the company, in addition to my team, like understand what does my person need, um, in terms of supporting guidance uh, and freedom and space and meeting schedule and all these types of things to feel like they're being successful. And then what do the people that we're doing this work for, um, what do they care about? How can I learn about things that are happening with users or customers of the company, um, that I can fold that information in. I, I see design as like a translation team. Like I, I don't all, I don't see it as like design owns the like discipline of design because if you get too fixated on like my job is to own the pixels, then when those types of like feedback come in where it's just like we had to make the we had to make the logo bigger, um, we had to like switch out this photo, whatever it is, then you feel like you've sort of lost something. But if I feel like if you have the the perspective of like it's my job to come up with the, the the solution that I feel is best based on all of this like storm of information, and I'm 
I'm I'm valuing it equally. I'm seeing it not as like its opposition, but more of like, okay, this person has the thought. Like, I don't necessarily agree, but like, what is the best path forward now that I've received this information? That if you get in that mindset, you can navigate a little bit easier. You can still feel like you've like been successful in the work because I, I do feel a lot of like people's happiness in their job and seeing the design work as successful and not has to do with that like lens. It's like, if you're, is your view of success is like, the thing that I first like proposed, like went out like exactly as I designed it, like that is a version of success that feels great when it happens, but it's not usually realistic because of that, that, that reality of like everybody, the company has an opinion. Um, and so if you're reframing success and like, we got something out here, are the things that I like learned and adjusted, like to get this thing out. And here's what I'm going to try to do differently next time. Like that, that can also be like super gratifying and lead to great work. Okay. I love that. So is that something that was modeled for you or is that something you had to um, make that own path way? Like it's definitely from learning, learning the hard way. Um, I'm a very opinionated person. um, And so I had to learn the hard way, like coming in and being like, yes, I I feel like I'm, I I know a lot about this and I still struggle with that. There's still times where somebody like shares a type opinion and they share it as fact. And I'm, it like is very triggering for me. I'm just like, it's like, look, you want to talk about type? Let's go. Um, which like, I, I brought my guns. Like <laughs> right, I'm ready. But but so I don't it, like that about myself. But but there are lots of things that we are always working on that we are bringing to, and depending on the day, depending on what happened at home, the dog could have gotten out, and you had to scramble in the morning. You know, who knows? Um, but it is all that stuff we bring to those meetings and to the to the um, relationships that we have at work. But it's about also knowing where we are not perfect instead of um, so that that's probably something that ho- ho- hopefully has been modeled at least with, with one example um, in your life, in your work life. I hope, you know, somebody that you either looked up to or you've I mean, it could be somebody that's not even a wasn't your direct report but somebody that was like wow they're really taking time to look at everybody's whatever or they they say that hey they have a problem with this or you know sharing that so i think you have done amazing in that way all right so um san francisco was a short trip um came back to seattle you have this beautiful house and you get to work remote so we're working remote was something you had done prior to COVID, right? This wasn't uh, new. In working remote, how do you build that team? Or, because there's so many things, when you are really trying to listen to other people in a meeting, um, you're taking in body language, You're and you are very receptive, because I've been with you in person, like you're amazing. And you can read on people, so is that ever something that um, is hard to do in that remote setting? Because it does seem like you're skilled at it. Um, maybe you don't think that, but I don't know. Is that ever, like, is being in a remote organization, does that make it harder or easier for you personally to make sure that everybody's being heard and you're listening and you're able to redefine success? For me, I feel like it's easier. There are certainly some contexts where being remote is is more difficult, like meetings, important meetings, particularly where everybody wants to be like heard and sort of like get the, get the chance to speak up. It's hard to like sort of like, how do I make space for myself or for my team or for somebody else who I feel like has something valuable to say here? Um, the etiquette like can sort of like go a lot of ways uh, with uh, Zoom and Zoom and other things. But in general, I prefer remote like drastically i like using slack i grew up using instant messenger it's very natural for me um and i'm highly introverted um and so doing um talking like a text space is is much less stressful for me um when there are things where it's just like oh i have a strong like i strongly disagree with like what's happening here and i need to figure out like what to say like having that like benefit of being async mm-hmm. and sort of like going up and taking a walk and and figuring out like okay what's the 
productive and like, you know, still get the intention across, but maybe with a little bit less of the, the um, unproductive emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, or that initial that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. The reaction. Yes. Reactionary. Yeah. That's super smart. I didn't think about that. But um, I do find that th- there are some things that like were easier being in the same room, like when it comes to like, you know, brainstorming and doing mm-hmm. like inspirational things. Like I have a huge book collection, which I can't really share with people in the office and the way that I used to be able to do um, that kind of hands on show and tell, like everybody being in the same space and sort of looking through things. And there's there's ways that I found to do it, like, you know, doing Zoom calls where we just, you know, go through and talk about stuff and doing big Figma boards where people, you know, sort of like group and paste in and sort of do quick share outs of things that they're finding inspiring. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's overall, like it's been a blessing. It's, it's always been the way that I've preferred to work. Um, and I'm, I'm really grateful that it's become like an easier thing. It's been much easier to find jobs that are, that are remote friendly post COVID. Yeah, for sure. Amen on that. Okay. So Jared had a question earlier. And he said he would love to hear about how or why, how slash why you moved from more traditional graphic design into UX, if that was the actual path you took. But it does sound like you've done UX and then you've gone back to managing some designers that are doing more traditional. Can you talk about just that why and how you moved? Uh, and sure. Okay. So I, my, my like initial interest in design book, like in high school, uh, before I went to college was through web design, actually. Um, I had access to things like Photoshop and Dreamweaver through my dad because he was a professor and had the tools on our on our machines. Um, and so I got really into like anime and video games and I would make fan sites and build things and do horrible things in Photoshop with like Zelda art. And, you know, just that was how I taught myself my basic skills. Um, and so my framing like going into college was that like I wanted to be less like a graphic designer but more web design was what I was interested in my dad very much did not want me to be a graphic designer um he begged he said it's very competitive you'll never make any money he begged me not to do it and so I actually started off in horticulture Um, I almost did horticulture Bethany I that was my major because I like to be outside more anyway it didn't I didn't do horticulture obviously anyway keep going but you showed um, him. You made money as a graphic I did. designer. I did. I threatened to go to Full Sail uh, <gasps> and do their web design program. And he was like, if you're going to do design, you're going to do it here. Um, and so he finally acquiesced and and gave me the sort of like thumbs up, uh, his blessing to, to try to get into the program. You were way past me. I don't remember when you graduated, but you were. I, I graduated in 96. I should have graduated in 95, but I extended it out because I like football. Not that I extended it to watch more football. That's not, that was just a benefit. Um, but um, so I, when I was at Auburn, there wasn't any, I was doing, I was the only person using Macromedia Director and I had this idea for this thing and they were like, well, you're going to have to teach yourself. And I'm so glad they did that because that's how the real world is. We have to teach ourselves everything all the time. So if you really want to learn it, then it is really good. It, you had lots of time as a kid to play and to explore and make crazy Zelda things and things that you would cringe now maybe, but it was about playing. It was, wasn't was so much about the tool. It was more about, hey, there's this playground. Um, so was there like a web design track at Auburn at that time? So you kind of no. made your own way that way as well? Yes, I was able to take some classes with Wei, um, Wei Wong, um, uh, on web design. Um, and that's actually how the ingrain, the web, I don't know if anybody here ever visited the, the ingrain when I was posting to that, but that was how that project got started. Um, I'm, I still run into people who like do not know that I ran that website and are familiar with it. And they'll be like, wait, what the, like you, you did that. Um, Chris Sowersby, who runs Klim Type Foundry, like did not know that I ran that site and it came up. <laughs> Well, it came up at some point recently and he was like, how, do, how have cool. I known you this long? And I didn't know that. Um, but um, yeah, so like it, it, learning like the rules around like these are the good, these are the good typefaces. Like here's what, you know, like the more traditional and as you know, Auburn's a fairly like formal um, modernist driven um, 
uh, graphic design program. And so that was a huge change for me, like used to being like defont.com and just sort of like, you know, what's what's expressive, like what feels like it has energy to it uh, and learning, you know, a much different way of, of setting type. And so I think that that taking the learnings from that and then also sort of like never losing my love for like vintage and old things and, you know, things that did have different flavors of typography as sort of like what ended up shaping my perspective on typography in general. And I very much like still remember how frustrated I felt um, in those early type classes of being so limited um, and sort of needing to put myself in the lens of like, okay, my teacher is expecting this. And so I need to give them this to like be successful and to get through. But like, I hated, I I, I hated being in design school. Um, And I was kind of like at a point where I was just like, I've left horticulture, I'm into graphic design, like maybe I've made a mistake. I I don't know, but I have to just like, I have to just see this through. It just felt like, well, you've you've made the decision and and go on. Um, And so a lot of the things that like, me sort of processing like how do i find the love in this is has come out through typography but to get back on the the like ux track like the u- interest in web like sort of grew into into ux and i've i've had jobs where graphic design and visual design has been more of a, a foundational part of the work but w- the thing that i've learned about myself is that that feels like very much like a personal artistic expression for me and I don't like doing it for other people. Like, I don't love doing freelance. I like doing it for me uh, right. in the way that I want to do it. And so, like, I use things like the EFAS League and the Font Review Journal and all these other types of tools as my outlet for that. So I can, when I'm doing it, like, I can maintain my love for it because yeah. I really found that trying to do it in the context of a job or for clients, like, really kind of, like, sucks the joy out of it for me. Well, and I think that that is really important for us to know. Sometimes we don't get that insight until we've already the joys sucked out right so i think that knowing that because you have you've uh, the ephes league i put the um link in that was it started as your senior project it grew and you've done other things with it but it is beautiful you guys should check that one out and then font review journal is something that's happened since 2016 right so when did that yeah. tell us a little bit about that and if you want to show us those images you can if um Whatever you take the screen. Whenever. I got it. I, I think I've, I have everything on my machine now, so I could screen share if it's if it's if you want. And typography was that something that always kind of um, brought you joy, or was that something that was uh, was it was it something that you came to love later, like as you were studying? in school what do you feel like you always were attracted to type and more or i don't know i think even before school i I can't illustrate and i'm not much of a photographer either and so if i'm i I love making things and you know the the sort of like practice of that but like and so if i'm going to make anything of 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 any interest i have to figure out how to do it with words and through typography Mm. and so the writing and the um and the practice of type has sort of like come through that and and loving just some of the physical physical objects in the history of letterpress which is how ingrain got started um and sort of growing a collection in that and learning about type history and development through that has also been a part of that and that sort of like interest in in type history and wood type has sort of led to projects like job clarendon which is a typeface that i art directed and made with um david jonathan ross who some of y'all might know um, this is the sort of research document that I put together as sort of the initial pitch to make that typeface with um, with David. Um, I found uh, examples of old Clarendons. Uh, condensed Clarendons are a genre of typeface that I have always loved. And I never, I didn't feel like a lot of type designers were sort of translating them successfully into digital uh-huh. typefaces. And variable fonts felt like an interesting medium to try to explore that with because um, with wood typefaces, you know, so many, um, a lot of, a, a lot of it is that like, you know, these are the same general idea of font, but they're probably like drafted by different draftsmen, just sort of like going, basing off of each other's work and trying to figure out like, okay, how do I make like a slightly thinner or smaller or less bold, um, or more condensed or wider version of the same typeface. And so variable fonts like sit very naturally into that idea. Mm-hmm. And so, um, 
sort of like pulled out, you know, the things that that I found were interesting and in, in historic examples um, from 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 Clarendon's. Like this is a, a wood t- a block from my um, from my collection. I have a, a whole alphabet of of that um, particular Clarendon, and so that became the sort of like guidepost for this work. Looking at other examples from other similar genres, these are some and more from my is, collection. This is you um, printing these or looking at these and then analyzing them, right? Seeing what. Yes. It, it, this isn't like you're going to the library and hunting out um, what other people have said. This is, um, I mean, maybe you did that as well, but but some of this is just because you have studied so many older. Um, pieces of design that have to do with type. This is some of the stuff that I just find super interesting and I love because you always teach me something new. Sure. Yeah. Like um, all of these are from like specimens that I've like found either online or a lot of these are from the Letterform archive um, where I um, requested scans. And yeah, just looking for trends. Like I I made a note here of like a lot of Clarendons have this sort of like oval shape in their counterpart. Forms and I think that it takes it too much into like a modern Dodone style for the typeface. Um, but then like two squared is also kind of like a little stiff. Um, and so like trying to figure out like what the happy middle is there um, and just sort of like grouping and comparing um, comparing typefaces. And if people don't know the letter form arc, it is, is it the letter form archive or letter form archive? Org? I don't know if it has if, if it's officially. I think it doesn't have the, the in the URL. I think okay, it's just letter form archives. Oh, Jared did it. Um, thank you. That's what I thought it was, but I wasn't sure, so I wanted to ask. But they they'll do some things. Uh, I think they're in San Francisco, right? The the yes. they're based there, but they do online things too. So I mean, I've gotten messages of um, you know online events that are from them, just so that people can. If they don't know, this is a great asset, a great resource. Okay, keep going. Sorry. So you've you found a lot, these. Of, the, a lot of these. Yes. Go ahead. Um. Yeah, I can keep talking about job, or I can switch over to font review journal. I, you know, I'm I've, I love everything, so I'm all over the place right now. So, um, uh, Alan says he has the opposite problem. He's not the best with type, and he still struggles daily. So, but I think sometimes. You get better when you, like you were saying, hey, this is something I'm working on. I'm going to dive into this. Um, what would be something that you would tell somebody like Alan that, uh, that uh, is a way that they could explore more and um, instead of just following the rules? Because I think, you know, a lot of these have been were older things that were that worked. And it it may break the rules we learned in school, which is some of the stuff that you taught me years and years ago. Um, but what would you tell somebody? Like, how can they look at something like what you're looking at and then um, take it to the next level of being improving? So I, I really like thinking about this problem because I find that like typically design advice tends to fall into like, well, if you are struggling with something or or you really like somebody's work and you're trying to figure out how to develop your own style, you should start by mimicking other people. And I, I, I think that there's a lot of value in that. But, uh, I, I know that there's also some people who are like adamantly against that and think that like it's, it, you know, there's too much things that are just driven by mood boards. Um, I have this thing that I wrote for Medium um, uh, or I put on Medium a long time ago where I took some of the like typography driven, typography driven uh, works that I really like um, and I tried to break them down and sort of explain like what I feel like from a structural standpoint or sort of um, standing out to me about them that makes them effective and so like I'm um, talking about this poster from Jessica Spenson um, looking at like how um, you know this this large um, sort of 3D um, extended uh, question mark. It like the lines that it forms like end up hitting a lot of the lines in the grid that's typeset underneath it. And I find that there's there's details like that that we a lot of times we just don't see. We just see like we see like the the big picture idea of like oh yeah 3D type and then you know we've got a grid underneath and we just think like oh yeah okay. 
Uh, and then somebody puts like a big box of something up here and they, they set a nice little grade down there and you get like sort of the way there, but it's like an iceberg, you know, you're not really understanding like the, the full like weight of the decisions that led up into that um, final result. And even like in, in a, a little bit looser and more expressive things, like looking at this poster from Eric, um, you know, just the way that, um, you know, figuring out like, okay, if I abstract this and look at it, like what, it, what, what sort of things am I seeing and sort of seeing the rhythms and the shapes and the way that the, the types sort of like fitting in uh, to each other there and thinking about like, how can I sort of distill that down into a repeatable lesson for myself and a teacher? Is that like an exercise you would do? You would find something out there and, and then abstract it with lines or, or shape? Yes. How cool. That's a great exercise. And that's, we all can get, and it's about like, what is working? What isn't working? Um, I think that that's one of your superpowers and able to back away and say, what is working? How can I incorporate this element into what I'm doing? But you have to be playing with it. You can't just pop it out. You know, I, I think there's something important about mimicking uh, the masters. I don't think we should just, that's all we do is mimic people. Um, I think that, but that's how we learn is we do have to um, imitate to be able to understand, oh, this is how they got this, right? Yeah. I think like my favorite, this this post, this is another one from the same series by, um, by Jessica, but this is like my favorite poster to talk about when it comes to just like the difference in the way that we sort of like emotionally experience something for the first time versus like it's it's becomes very easy to miss the details so like i love this poster this poster is like my favorite thing and it's using a typeface called maelstrom which is by chris uh sowersby and at clem and you know you've got this huge typeface and it's like creating the scaffolding in the middle of the page and then you have the, the small type alongside of it and um if you look at like the usage of this typeface after this poster came out, like most people try to use it in the same way that this poster is. So like, I, I feel like in general, like people like see this, they're like, oh, I love this that typeface. It's so cool. They set Maelstrom really big in black and white and they're like, and they stack it like so it's like really tight and sort of like mimic the hairlines um, between the slabs. And they're like, done. I nailed it. I, I, I captured the essence of this poster. Um, but if you like, if you break it down and so i went through and like this is what the 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 font looks like if you if you set it and you left align it and that's like okay so let's right align it and let's uh put that little tag in there and sort of like seeing where it's at and it's just like okay but then if you like look at, and sort of like the end so the blue is representing like her actual design and the red is representing like what that what this like looks like when you just set it out of the box. Mm -hmm. You can like when you look at the overlay, you can see that like she actually like modified the typeface a lot. She she tucked in um, uh, the the R here to make room for this column. She removed the flags in a few places, including there. She's tucked in the zero so it lines up here, um, and sort of made sure that the lines um, all throughout here like lined up exactly. And, and it's like this level of sort of like looking and observing and studying the work that our peers do that I think is super valuable. And it's something that um, it's always like interested and frustrated me about designers that like this stuff is like the basics for like what we do, like this stuff matters. And I feel like we like we look at like tiny JPEGs of things and we're just like, oh, yeah. And then we like copy it like after that, like blurred version of like not really even looking at it and right. we move on and right. then we're like really frustrated when people don't take us seriously it's like we have to take that like i should be doing this with like anything that i look at and like and i don't do it either um but i find that like when you're really looking at like great work you will find and learn things like this that make you appreciate it in a whole new way um like i i already loved that poster more than i could say and now i love it even more because i've i've taken the time to like break it down like this yeah. And so you got some lots of people in the chat. So Matt says the power of great type and why and great design on an emotional level, why I became a designer years ago. And then Jared said, love that point. Need to customize. Um, he says, what does Draplin what Draplin says default is dangerous. And then Paul says super valuable to do that kind of detailed analysis and reconstruction, especially in type. Awesome. Um and I just think that people are, when it is successful, we are just, um, we are devaluing the 
we're not looking at it like, oh, she probably adjusted this or how much goes into all those little nuances and just the it's a grid system. You know, there she's making or whoever made this made a, um, you know, they had a structure to it. It was its own kind of structure. But I think that they're it's it's really powerful. But maybe we do need to analyze that we want to be taken seriously. But right, like you're saying, we're not doing it like we should. So we can't give other people um, a hard time if they're not doing it for us. So we have to lead by example. That's, again, what you're great at doing this. Okay, so in in so this medium, you you said you had told me one of the best uh, ways for you or your favorite ways to talk about design was through um, your articles on medium. And so are you still writing on that platform I haven't written anything in a long time. I have things like various drafts of things that I've poked at. Um, I I really needed a break um, from from sort of writing and talking about it um, all the time. And I've also gotten really deep into a, a very long term project, which which hopefully someday happens, where I've been doing research for a um, a book about Cooper Black. Um, you you want to talk? Go ahead and uh, take us to Cooper Black and tell us about yes. that one. So. Um, I get a lot of times I've had people ask me about like, oh, when you do things for Font Review Journal or, or sort of like write about type, like how do you sort of like keep track of, you know, where do you find your things and how do you keep track of them? And like when I'm re- getting really into the weeds on something, I use this tool called um, Dropmark. Um, and so it's basically like a Pinterest and you can tag things. And um, this is the over 3,500 images that I have of in use examples of Cooper Black. Um, and then I can go in and tag things. So I can say like, oh, if there's a particular designer um, that used the typeface a lot that I find is notable, like Buddy Esquire, um, I can come in and, and sort of like, if I'm diligent about tagging those things as I add them, then I can sort of filter out um, when oh. I know the decade of something. Um, I can filter it. I have gone through Discogs like decade by decade and found um, hundreds and hundreds of um, album covers uh, that you and um uh, cassette art and various things that use uh, Cooper Black and can sort of group them by decade. Um, so what is I did disc- this because I was really Discogs. I'm Discogs is like a it's like a music database. It's like it's like trying to like capture every like release of every piece of like music that's ever happened. It's like some big open source thing. See, you always I'm a, know I'm a, these a, an amateur. Okay, so. Um... That's really cool. Okay, so then this, how did you find Dropmark? I started using it forever ago because I really wanted, I've always been obsessed with sort of like, oh, I like this thing and I want to grab it. And I would just like loosely collect things and folders on my machine. And I was like, I want to be able to like share it more easily. I want to be able to do this sort of like tagging and filtering. Um, And and yeah, I found this and um, I had... I actually know the person who like developed this like through a weird coincidence because I used to use one of his, I, I would ask him questions about a JavaScript plugin that he <laughs> that he made a zillion years ago for like masonry uh, tile effects on web like this. Um, and um, so I was able to sort of directly ask him for a few features like, oh, tagging. And then like, I would really like it if people didn't have to have an account and they could come in and like filter by those tags. Um, yeah, but, but this, um, just as a yeah. research project, this is huge help for you as you're out there looking. And I'm sure it's sort of like Pinterest, too, where you can add your own photos in. But then you can yes. also just pit or it's not a pin, but you would be um, taking things from somewhere else on the web. It would go. Is that kind of how it works? Yes. OK, so but this would be amazing for doing research on this. So. I would just love, this is just a Diane uh, question. So say you're starting, you've you've collected all these things. When and how do you go in and start analyzing? Do you analyze it? Like, what does that look like in your brain? Like, is it for success? Is it for, I, I would just love to know your thought process. This is probably a longer question than we have, but. That's a good question. Um. I'm always just uh, like I, I'm trying to like it like the process usually switches for me of like okay I'm just sort of like looking for like the thing what is the thing that matches right. my thing um 
And sometimes, and a lot of times it means like looking for, like looking in ephemera section, uh, ephemera areas, um, or sort, sort of like, uh, let me find an example of, of something. So like, if I go into the ephemera tag, um, looking mm. in, in like a sticker archive yeah. and, and, and sort of like, I can't, I'm not looking for like Cooper Black stickers. I'm just like looking at the thing because I know that I'm going to find Cooper Black in here somewhere. Right. Um, and so. I'm, it, it, I like make little goals like that for myself of like, I'm going to go down this rabbit hole today. Um, and then like, there's usually like things that sort of like pop up. That's like, okay, there's, I, I like immediately know like what I would want to say about this or like, I'm seeing connections between something um, that I found in over here and that relates to this thing over here or um, because do you have I've, kind I've, of a, photographic memory where you're able to be like "Ooh, this was like this but you're able to kind of see it in general like overlooking the whole landscape and then you're able to see patterns multiple patterns i don't think i'm a very visual thinker in general but like when i do have a very good memory and so like usually if i've seen something i can remember it um and so if i do the work to sort of like when i find things sort of like do a little bit of work to sort of capture them in places like this um, it's easy for me to sort of like figure out where they are and recall them. Um, otherwise, they're um, they can they can sort of be lost because like it's harder and it gets harder and harder to find things um, over time. Google is becoming less useful, right? So then, okay, so then you're seeing these patterns. Are you physically writing them down? Or are you writing them down in another um, like a notepad or some sort of document, or are you just keeping them in your head? I use the the notes apps, okay, um, yeah. usually. And so I'll keep like runner running things or like I'll, you know, do subheadings for like write about this. Um, and I, um, I can't wait to read. I hope this book comes someday. Um, Rhonda wanted the video to... game section. This is my favorite one. <gasps> oh, I had Cubert. I didn't even remember it was um, uh, Cooper Black. Oh my gosh. These There's are great. They're really fun. They're not where the, the, these in, instances where like you don't expect it. Um, it's not like what you think of is is really fun. And then thinking about like, okay, how did the usage of the, the typeface and who used the typeface and how change in the eighties and relate that to like the um, the change in in the political environment in the U.S. in the eighties. Mm. Like, oh, everything became more corporatized and like it became less of a like corporate sort of subsumed the like aesthetic that was like in the 60s and 70s of of like this like you know this was the hip typeface and corporate corporations like cooper tires and you know um you know a, a lot of um, soda brands and mcdonald's and all that start using it it's in a lot of political posters in the 80s um and then you start seeing it you've less in the artistic media you know it like drops dramatically in album covers and things because like they're wanting to react against this thing that like they used to own and and, and you know it's sort of like it writes itself if you like do the work to like see everything and sort of like have this like wealth of of data and information to look at in but that experience. is again it's looking at the and knowing the history knowing that whole landscape of the time you can't really just be pinpointed on one thing you have to be able to come back and look at hey what was happening i love that you pull that that in and and think about what how things were changing i mean that's prince uh using it wow in 88 so uh yeah. ronda one i didn't know, even know that this album existed i didn't either look i look at that i know i guess roger nelson is his given name um or maybe it uh, anyway i didn't know that that's um this is great, but you have done a lot of research. At what point do you stop doing the collection? And I mean, you're you're putting down in Notepad some of your the patterns that you're seeing and things that you'd like to say. Is that just a you know the collection happens as this? You spend more time in these pages and looking and analyzing i find that like the sort of like stopping point is like it can be driven by a lot of things like sometimes when you're working with somebody else it's like okay we have a timeline like we've got to mm. go um sometimes it's it's like i'm i'm ready to stop sort of like being in this hunting mindset and more about like okay i want to like feel like i'm can sort of like put a bow on some of these things that i've found and draw connections and sort of like create the the sort of like what's the narrative that i want to find for this like particular 
um, aspect. And sometimes doing that writing like reveals things like, oh, I should look up things about like, and I'm still trying to track this down. Like, I want to know, like, why is it that like metal signage and vinyl signage like that became like, like Cooper Black became like so in the like it's very different technologies it's the same like general concept of like they're both like large format signages but like why did they like cooper black's not a simple typeface like why did they feel like it was important to invest the time in those things um and so there's there's new avenues that sort of like you can make the initial observation but then it's like okay we'll do is this one where it's like makes sense to go a level deeper and like should i try to interview somebody you know like how you know like what where am i how do i get the information and the resources to to dive into this even even deeper yeah i mean how do you do you take it to that place of hey i need to interview some sign shop owners from the 80s i mean is that is that a normal route you would take to see how they were making decisions for their business or i've done it in the past um i haven't gotten to that point with this project yet um because very big and and i'm still like sailing out a bunch of things about it but um for font review journal yes like there have been times where it's just like i want to know like a a something about this typeface and just (laughs) trying to source somebody and or a few people and and ask questions and see who says yes and and gives you a, a response that that makes sense. Okay, two questions. Um, Rhonda said, can you put the album cover site um, or can you spell Discogs? I have no idea, so I wrote that. I don't know if that's correct, but if you can tell me, I can type it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to type it in to make sure that I know. Yeah, Discogs. Okay. Um, yes. Okay, great. Um, I'm going to write it down so it'll go in the links at the bottom on the notes. So if you are looking for it, we can, um, we'll get it for you. I don't remember if it was .org or .com, but. Good question. Can, it's, it's .com. Okay. okay, great. And then uh, Jaren said, um, where do you find all these images and data? Are they from all over or do you have a search process? They're from all over. Um, so sometimes um, Pinterest is a sort of entry point because um, Pinterest is sort of like watching me. And so it sort of knows like the types of things that I'm interested in. Um some of it's on Instagram. Uh, some of it's on Arena. If I want to be in like a graphic design space uh, and see how I don't like even know what designers... Arena is. See, you teach me all <laughs> this stuff. I feel like the I'm like, granted, I can say this, and you aren't going to take offense to it because you grew up in Alabama. But sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, it hadn't gotten here. I live in Alabama. Okay, so what is Arena? Arena is like Arena is it's R A R E dot N A. And it's like Pinterest for like Gen Z graphic designers. Oh, that's why, because I'm a... <laughs> it's the not it's the it's the it's the description I would use that doesn't involve swear words, which is what I would normally describe it as. Um, but that's it's, good, it's my very, mom's still it's here like, in spirit. <laughs> exactly. Um, it is, but it's mostly graphic designers on there, um, and you can find all kinds of stuff. And but you also you like to go to. Um, flea markets or antique places yes. these it's this isn't just like she's hanging out on the internet you know she's out there um finding some things just on your own and it's uh, like this one i found at a at an antique store um a few weekends ago and like the signage and and this one um those are all mine that i took um yeah, I'm I'm out looking at old things and weird things like constantly. And my favorite examples are the ones that I don't find at graphic design sites. There are things that I find where I'm just like, I want to look at like rave a rave poster archive and see what I can find because rave is not the first genre of music that I would think of that I would find Cooper Black, but I have found Cooper Black uh, examples in that archive. Um, and um, yeah, the sort of going into like a Flickr album where mm. it's like oh it's about you know it's it's like shirt tags or old t-shirts or um you know uh, or um like there is um uh, do I have a good way of finding this um I have let me see I have so many tags in here do I have a transportation tag I do not um but the, you've been able to make these tags right you just have to you just go through yes. and when you see it. So if you wanted to add a transportation tag, you could add it to this auto one that's next to the diamond cross ranch or something, right? You would just be able to click on it and add a tag to it, I guess. This is it. So like I 
heard of this concept of like jeepneys and um this is not the this is not the the best picture because i probably just grabbed this to so i would remember that it was called a jeepney but i was like they it's like um uh, it's something um, in the Philippines that where, you know, they're like they're tour bus-y kind of thing. I apologize if I'm not uh, describing this accurately. Oh, I did it because it's, there's this sign right here that has because they're black. But um, I I saw these things and I was like, I know that there, somebody's made some of these with Cooper Black on it. And so I went through uh, like various Getty stock image sites, sites, Flickr albums, like whatever it is. And I finally found some that had it, have it. And so it's like low hits per like time spent in terms of like the number of things that you find. But it feels better when you do find them because you're sort of like going on a hunch. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's great. You've given us so much. Dylan uh, Mingus said, thank you, Bethany. You helped me be a better designer. Gotta run. And so he loved it today. I I just love that you are... I I I take pictures of a certain typeface because I uh, I don't like the typeface. Um, but I there is now this affinity towards that typeface. And um, it's hobo is the one that I don't don't like. But I kind of feel like it's like, now I'm kind of like me and hobo, you know, like it's a there. I feel like I have so many pictures on my phone of hobo being used because hobo was used a lot on a lot of things. Um, but it's uh, anyway, I just I love how you think. And we didn't get to any of the questions, but OK, let me um, we we you answered a lot of great questions. So is there anything else about the Cooper project or about um, the um the articles that you write or that is that feeds something for you that you're that it is definitely very separate right um you could keep it all in but there is something that um makes you want to share this so what is that um that draws you to share this and not just have these thoughts on your own I think a lot of it's just like growing up with uh, a parent who was a teacher. Um, I wanted to be a professor when I graduated, and um, I think if I had, if I, if I, if if like one or two things had gone differently for me in my life, I would have just like gone and gotten a master's and come back to Auburn and and been a different version of my dad. Um, and I just got, um, for better or for worse, got seen um, very early and sort of had a lot of doors opened up to me through. The work that I did as a student, and and soon after I left school, and um, got seen in a lot of places, and so you know, sort of like the the scope of my possibilities uh, changed, and so I find that the the writing and sharing, um, I hope that it's sort of providing some of the value that I hoped that I would be able to provide as a teacher. Oh my gosh! I very, and I mentioned it earlier. Like I very much remember how much I was, how frustrated I was in the school. Um, feeling misunderstood, feeling like, um, you know, just sort of like not knowing how to process um, what it was and wasn't good. And like, when am I doing this just for the professor versus when is this like the right solution and, and all those types of things and sort of like struggling to understand the sort of formal decisions that I was sort of like being led to. Um, and and wanting to just and also like being frustrated like early on about, about people sort of like looking at me and sort of saying like oh well the work that she does is unconventional and so it's just like that's just her that's her thing nobody else should do this this is bad practice um she can get away with it because you know of whatever reason but i've got i, I hear that a lot um and so some of it's my my own stubbornness of sort of being like i don't think it's just me i think that this is like something that other people can can learn and take and, and use in their own way um and just wanting wanting to see the the practice of graphic design grow in terms of how we like talk to others about our own work and about other work and sort of see a maturation of the discipline in that way. Yeah, I love that. Well, and I love that you share so easily and that you analyze. You make me want to be a better designer. And that's why I love having you on because you're just terrific at that. So and you you are I would love to work for you. I mean, I don't want to work. I mean, you know, I'm happy. I don't want to I don't want to get another job. But I'm just saying I think that you would be a great person. I asked you, did you have anybody that you um, could mimic that that did this to you that taught you that? And I'm sure, you know, there are 
people in your life that have done that at times or things that you've seen. But you've also really forged ahead in a new way for, in a way, um, a newly labeled discipline of UX. And I think that um, I'm really glad that you have gotten to do, you know, lead graphic design teams and lead the UX team. But I think you always have at the center what is successful for the user and and I th- and the people how they're reacting to it. Why were people using this? Why were people seeing this typeface in this way? And how do people see this typeface now? Um, and maybe that's some of that conversation I need to have with myself about hobo. I kind of feel bad that I don't like hobo. I guess I just think it's overused. Um, but I'll think about it, and then next time we can have a conversation about hobo, maybe. Uh, but I wanted to hey. make sure. Sh- <laughs> I mean, I don't know. People may like hobo. I'm just a burned hobo, but I have this weird relationship with hobo now. So Thought Review Journal is a way that you can connect with Bethany. Ephus League is um, still a beautiful, beautiful site. And her favorite way to talk about design on a formal level is this Medium um, article. And then her website is heckhouse.com. Bethany, what is one thing in 10 years? So since the first time you were on in, tw- in 2013, which seems like not that long ago, but then it also seems like a long time ago. Um, what's one thing that you've learned about yourself that has been most impactful for you in in your career as a designer or in a, in a leader? I think that learning to get over <laughs> to get over myself in, in that way and sort of like learning to embrace the like interpersonal aspects of work um not just for myself and my like my own work and sort of seeing my own work through to the finish line but learning to do that for other people um like that's to me the biggest change from like when I started to to when I finished um just um yeah like that but back in 2013 i was in south carolina working for a web design agency uh and so my next job after that was moving to ibm and sort of like that was my first time being in a really big pond uh and getting to sort of like learn to navigate within the machinery of that and i find that that's like that's a way that i that's another like element that i really have enjoyed being in uh, and it was very unnatural for me at first being an introverted person uh, and Dave's and his fiery with strong opinions about things and sort of figuring out like how do I keep the good of that while do- expressing it in a, in a way that I hope is a lot more productive um, and bringing other people along with me rather than feeling like oh it it has to be you know like I have to be the person who's sort of shouldering this and that's that's not a healthy way to work. But I think that that was you know it when you were at Auburn or in school a lot of times we feel like I just have to do it this way to either get the passing grade or because it doesn't rock the boat or, and a lot of people feel like that in the beginnings of their career and then they never kind of come out of that. So in a way, you now created a place where people can be safe to explore when they're under you in, as you're their boss or their leader or the team lead or the project lead or whatever, like you, you're doing more, you are mentoring others even just by I mean, even just through Front Review Journal, like there, it's helping us to move forward in our careers, but it's also you're creating a space that hopefully other people, because it's not just the design, it's the way you are UXing being a manager or, you know, like you're thinking about how, because I know there, I mean, one job I left because the guy just took all the things that I was designing because our creative director was controlling what he was doing too much and so he didn't feel like he had any power and that's kind of what it felt like maybe um when we're stuck and we're having to only meet the what the teacher likes right I some kid said to me this summer or the beginning of last spring and he was like well I don't know you know well this is what I want to do and I'm like well you have to tell me about the customer so that I can know if it's successful it's not if Diane likes it you know, like, uh, just don't use hobo, you know, if you want to do something, I don't, right? Um, but I think that it's not that, that there are, you have to really think, and I think a lot of people think about design as just, oh, what well, do you like it and not? And I think you really have this really great package of that customer experience. 
And I think you do that as a manager. I think that that would be difficult in a remote setting. Um, but it sounds like you're a great, a great team leader where you're managing a Zoom meeting so that people get their voice because you didn't feel like your voice was heard. And I feel like you're like an advocate for that. And I just think that's great. It's just well, hard. You. I can't speak to I can't speak to whether or not I'm successful because I, I don't I don't have me as a manager, but I can just speak to what my motivations are and what I'm trying to do. I hope that I'm successful. Yeah. Well, we're always trying to improve, you know, and I, it it stops when we stop trying to improve and think that we're we've got everything. So I'm going to rethink hobo. And now I've got like all these things now to um, go in the arena. I put them in my show notes, discogs. And then uh, I did know about Letterform Archive. Um, so I will put all of those show notes will be there. But it, again, guys, go follow Bethany. Um, Jared says, you're super inspiring, Bethany. I've Bethany, I've, I've Bethany, I've Bethany been affected. He said, I've definitely been affected by your work. Thank you for sharing today. Paul said great insights, great tips. Um, and I agree. Bethany, you just are a wealth of information and you just share so easy. I'm really glad you're my friend. And thank you for being willing to um, swap our dates, which I think was really funny. It was 0315. We still use the same numbers. It's now 0531, which I thought was kind of weird, but we end up being on the same number. That I don't know. Three and five are two of my favorite numbers because I love the way they look together. They're kind of, you know, so like that's always my favorite number. So you had my favorite numbers either in March or if it was here. So Bethany, thank you. I can't wait. Hopefully it won't be 10 years um, since till I have you back on. But thank you. Thank you. And next week, I believe we have Alicia Cologne on and she is doing something new as well. She has also been through multiple um, different jobs and um, done paper arts and photography and project management. Um, and so we'll hear from her next week. But Bethany, thank you so much. And if you're listening on YouTube, you can give us a thumb. If you A thumb. Give us a thumb. I guess you could give us a thumb either way. But we'd love a thumbs up and I'd love a comment. I do respond back to them. So I really appreciate you, Bethany, and I appreciate everybody who comes live. So thank you. And Bethany, I will see you soon. And next time you're in Alabama, I would love to pop up to Auburn and see you. So anyway, we will see you we'll guys next too. week. Thank you all so much.